Hi, this is Brian Lopiccolo. I'm just offering a technical disclaimer uh, for those of you who are listening to this sermon online. This is a sermon of Psalm 1, and we had some te- technical difficulties in the service. Uh, we lost the second half of the sermon recording in the worship service. So the, the first half of what you're going to hear was recorded live in a public worship service in a large space. The second half of what you're going to hear was recorded live in my very tiny office on a very simple program on my laptop. So if you're if you're wondering halfway through the recording why all of a sudden the the tone, the timbre changed, my demeanor changed, that's why. So um Hope you can overlook that, and I pray that God blesses you as you listen to this recording of Psalm 1. Thank you. Good morning. This morning's scripture comes from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's true word. Have you ever noticed that, especially if you're a Christian, that in a pinch, you want to hear the Psalms? Have you ever noticed that the Psalms in the New Testament are often published together? Pocket-sized Bible. You find them often in hospital rooms next to hospital beds. Um, Some of you know my brother's story. When he was sick and and, and dying, uh, he had a pocket New Testament and Psalms. And they're often published together. Because in those moments... You want to hear a psalm. You don't typically go to Leviticus, do you, when you're struggling? It's kind of like, uh, remember in the Lord of the Rings, Galadriel gives Frodo a gift, and it's this file of light. And she calls it a light for you when all other lights go out. Frodo discovers late in his journey in one of the darkest moments uh, that that's exactly what he needed. The psalms are like that. They're like a light to us. When all other lights go out, because that's what they were for the people who composed them. In the moments when they needed God's truth the most. The church father Athanasius back in the fourth century said that most of scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. It was John Calvin who said that the Psalms were like an anatomy for all parts of the soul. Calvin said, there's not a single human emotion that is not in some respect represented and expressed throughout the book of Psalms somewhere. Whatever may serve to encourage us, he wrote, whatever may serve to encourage us when we are about to pray to God is taught us in this book. I'm going to be quoting Eugene Peterson throughout this next series on Psalms. He wrote a really great book on the Psalms called Answering God. And, and what Peterson said is that God speaks to us, but our answers are our prayers. Our prayers are how we answer God. And the Psalms are prayers. They are composed, sung prayers. And for this summer, we're going to explore throughout the summer the many 
And the, the Psalms cover the, the broad spectrum of human experience and human emotions. Okay? As people experience various trials, whether they're up or whether they're down, various human emotions, they're expressed in these Psalms as they respond to God, regardless of whatever they're going through. And, and somebody that when we were praying earlier, somebody said, so you're going to go through all 150 Psalms? I said, no, not this summer. But I I've, I've figured if, if, and this is just an idea, and I'm, o- I'm open to input uh, between now and next summer. But I thought, you know, we, we move quickly through the year from September through June. And I thought, well, what if, what if each summer we just slow down and reflect? And as you come and go from vacation, uh, you come and you hear psalms throughout the summer. We just reflect on psalms each summer. And I figured if, if I preach eight to ten psalms every summer, then in about 18 years, I will have preached through all of psalms without forcing any of you to have to sit through a 150 sermon series. So what, I don't know what you think about that, but pray about it. And between now and next summer, let me know what you think, because I'm, I'm open to other suggestions. But this summer, we're just going to reflect upon different psalms and see how people responded to God in their songs and in their prayers, regardless of what the experience was that they were enduring. But have you noticed that in this book of sung, composed prayers, the first psalm is not a prayer? Did you pick that up as you heard Kate reading it? The first psalm is not a prayer. It's wisdom literature. It's like Proverbs because it guides us into the rest of the psalms. It's a door into all the psalms. It's giving us guidance and perspective and advice as we begin to ask ourselves, what does it look like to reach out to God in our triumphs, in our sufferings, in our weaknesses, in our sin, in our failure? What does it look like? Psalm 1. And what we see here is that genuine prayer and genuine song rises from hearts yearning for God's presence. Genuine prayer, genuine psalms, are the result of people who are hungry to hear God's voice in their lives. And in this psalm, there are several images, some metaphors. Did you pick up on them? So images like like a tree, or like chaff, or like a courtroom. You see that image in this psalm. But the one that that you see the most in this psalm is the, the idea of a road or a path. The idea of being on a way, okay? being on your way somewhere. And so today I want to talk about the way of the righteous, the thoughts of the righteous, and the reward of the righteous. The psalmist talks about the righteous, the way of the righteous. So we'll talk about that, but also the thoughts of the righteous and the reward of the righteous. Now, the way of the righteous is described here as only one of two paths. The psalmist only talks about two paths here. And the first thing he says in verse 1, we begin with blessed. The psalms begin with the word blessed. And all scholars say it's it's as if he were saying happy. That's another way of translating the word. Happy. The, The good life. Blessed is the man who. Now, let me stop for a second. Why is why is this person happy? Why is this person blessed? Well, we first know that this person is blessed because of all the things that he is not. There's a road that he does not want to walk on. There are people he does not want advice from. 
There are seats that he is not willing to sit in. There are things that he does not say. But in verse 2 it says, His delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So here's someone who is blessed because he delights in God's law, in the Torah. Okay, not just Ten Commandments, but all of God's instruction. Whatever this guy, when he wrote this, whatever he had by means of God's word at that time, all of God's collected instruction, all of God's word, his law, he delighted in that. Not just on the Sabbath day, not just when he was suffering, but it says day and night. Now, does that mean that every waking moment, he, he never stopped delighting in God's law? Never are you getting nervous that you have to be thinking about God and his and Bible verses constantly? Well, the concept of day and night, it's, it's, it's what scholars call a merism. Okay? Do you remember there's a, there's a place in the Bible, um, there, uh, later in Psalms, where the psalmist says, God forgives us like as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west, so does God forgive our trespasses. Okay, what sometimes scripture writers would do is they'd take two opposite ideas and they'd bring them together to represent the totality of something, to represent completeness. Okay? So day and night here, it really means always. He's, just, he's always in a posture of remembering and delighting in God's voice, in what God has said, day and night, anytime. Here's somebody who delights in God's truth always. Throughout the course of her life. When this person, when this psalmist is not in conversation with other people. Um, when he's not problem solving. When he's not preoccupied with the task of the moment. He's thinking about what he's last heard from God's word. He's thinking about what he's last read from God's truth. When you get a break at work or in the house. Those, maybe you have five minutes and you're not doing anything. Instead of jumping right to Facebook to see what your friends are up to and to see what the people you've been stalking are up to, um, or instead of jumping on the computer and getting five minutes in on your favorite video game, okay, this guy is saying, well, the, the person who lives the blessed life, when he's got nothing to do and nothing to think about, his thoughts turn to God and his voice. And he starts thinking about what he last heard, thinking about what he last read. Okay. So one path is blessed because it delights in God and in God's truth. The other path is cursed because it, it delights in anything else, anyone else. But the source of a blessed life here is meditation. That's the source of the blessed life. Now, let me ask you a question. What, what types of ideas and images are conjured up in your mind when you hear the word meditate? I'm not looking for a right answer. Honest answers. When, when you hear the word meditate or meditation, what thoughts, what images come to mind? Just from life, from the world, from your experience. What do you think? Transcendental meditation. Transcendental meditation. So, so sort of a, a, an Eastern religions type of thing. Okay, yeah. Finding, 
finding a quiet spot to sit and focus. Okay, like a rock or next to a stream or a broom closet. Or your deck, your deck. You have a very quiet deck. Yeah. Other thoughts? When you hear the word meditate, what do you think of? Yeah. Did you say how difficult it is to clear your mind and think about one thing at a time? Yeah. Yes. Life is noisy in many ways. And it's very difficult to just stop and even think about one thing at a time. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Just curious. Want to see a show of hands. How many people um, remember meditation being a theme or a topic in Sunday school or in church membership seminars, conferences? I don't see a single hand. I see, oh, wow. One guy in the back raises his hand. (laughs) Wow, you really have. Okay. But almost, uh, just uh, virtually no one raised their hands. Okay. Okay. Well, the thoughts of the righteous are most influenced by God's truth. Meditation has to do with what you're thinking about. And the old Hebrew word here, it it sounds like this, haga. You know how certain words sound like what they mean? Well, here's one of them, haga. It meant to mutter. It meant to murmur to the old Hebrews. What does somebody sound like when you hear them talking to themselves? Sounds like muttering. Sounds like mumbling, right? So uh, something Tim Keller likes to say about meditation is it's really talking to yourself about God. That's what the psalmist is talking about. Talking to yourself about God. Think about it. There's two psalms that I can think of. There's Psalm 42. But Psalm 103 says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Who's he talking to? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Here is someone who is talking to himself, reminding himself of who God is, of all of God's kindness to him, of all of God's benefits. Meditation isn't simply reading the Bible. It's not just memorizing scripture. Meditation is not, it's, it's not just a Bible study. It's not going to Sunday school. It's not necessarily going to church and hearing a sermon. Meditation is taking all of that and allowing it to sink down into your identity. Meditation is taking all of that, all that you've studied, all that you've read, all that you've memorized, and allowing it to penetrate your thoughts so that it affects your identity and it begins to affect your priorities and your choices, just the general habits, the general flow of your life. That's meditation from the Bible's perspective. What does it look like, though? What does it look like to meditate? Well... He doesn't tell us in Psalm 1. He doesn't give us a how-to, three steps towards uh, meditation for a better life. He doesn't give you that. But he shows you what it looks like. He shows you what meditation looks like, but it's another image. He says of the righteous person on the righteous path, he is like a tree 
planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's what meditation looks like, this singer says. Now, I I know that in most eastern regions of the United States, and especially Carroll County, you can pretty much plant a tree anywhere, and it will probably grow to one degree or another, right? Not, not, it wasn't that case in the Middle East. It wasn't that case where this guy's writing. In the Middle East, you have to plant a tree near a water source, a river, a stream, an irrig- irrigation canal cut from a river, because otherwise the tree's not going to grow. Otherwise, the tree's not going to bear fruit. Unless it's planted, unless it's transplanted near a water source. Eugene Peterson basically says, okay, well, so then this, this is what the psalmist is saying, that we prosper as we are by the source of life. We prosper as we are planted by the source of growth. Or he says, it, meditation is park it day by day, parking yourself right where God wants you. Meditation is arranging your life in such a way that God's your greatest influence. Meditating on God's word, delighting in it day and night, is is organizing your life, structuring your life, your friendships, your work, your time, your endeavors, your hobbies, your conversations, your ministry, your service, in such a way that God is the biggest voice in your life. God's the most influential voice. Hence, he says at the end of verse 3, in all that he does, he prospers. Now, he's not saying he gets whatever he wants, like some spoiled brat. No, he's saying that for the righteous person on God's path, planted like a tree by the water, what he's saying is this is a person who is relying on God's voice more than any other voice, more than any other influence in his life. He's relying on God. He's planted by God's influence. So naturally, all of his endeavors are going to line up with what is important to God. God's priorities are becoming her priorities because she's planted by him. And so naturally, all of her endeavors prosper because her, her endeavors are already blessed by God. So all that she does prospers because what she's doing, her endeavors are motivated by God's agenda and not her own. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So meditation plants you in the right place. It, it roots you to God and that's a blessed life. But verse 4, the psalmist tells us the wicked are not so. What do you think is the difference between the wicked and the righteous as the psalmist portrays both? What do you think it is? Now notice he's not saying that the wicked are unsuccessful. He's not saying the wicked are not powerful or wealthy. He's not saying they aren't likable. They're not healthy. He doesn't say any of those things. He's saying they're not blessed. Why is that? It has to do with what they think about. What are you thinking about often? I'm convinced that we meditate 
almost constantly. It's been said that the things you think about when you have nothing to think about, um, when you're waiting, when you're waiting for, for news, good or bad, right? when, when you're sitting waiting for a ride, when you're up in the middle of the night because you can't sleep, what are you thinking about in those moments when you have nothing to think about? Those are the things that motivate your decisions and your actions and the general path of your life. And the psalmist is saying that your meditations, what you think about by default, that reflects what path you're on in life. Whether you're on the path that leads you in God's way or whether you're on your own path. Now, some people may be saying, well, look, I'm not close to God. All right, I'm not going to kid myself. I'm not close to God, but, but gee, I'm, I'm not a bad person. Okay, I understand what you're saying, but have you noticed that according to Psalm 1, there are only two paths? You're either planted by the stream or you're planted in the desert, you see. There's only two paths. There's, there's no neutral lane. There's no neutral path. And so the psalmist says in verses 4 and 5 that the wicked are not so, but are like, the wicked are not blessed, he's saying, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Uh, my in-laws are, uh, are fruit farmers. Uh, one particular year we were visiting my in-laws in upstate New York, and my father-in-law was renting out a portion of his farm uh, to another farmer who had planted wheat. And, and I tried this. You could try this. If you grab, take a, take a handful of grain, just grab a handful of wheat. And, and then what you do is you separate the wheat from its outer shell. So you have in your hand the wheat and then the chaff. And the chaff rubs right off, rubs right away from the grain. So in your hand, you have the heads of wheat and you have their chaff. And then all you got to do is just very gently throw it all up into the air, a few inches off of your hand. And what will happen is the heads of grain will fall back into your hand and the chaff will blow away in the slightest breeze. And so the question I have for you, if you would say, well, I, I don't hate God. I'm just not close to him. You know, I, I'm, I'm not close to God, but I'm not a bad person. The question I have for you is, the path you're on in life, will it lead you to a place where in the presence of God, you would be blown away? There is a reward, the psalm says, for those who are righteous, for those who are on the right path, on God's path, on God's way. And I want to call their reward plantedness. Plantedness, or another way of saying this is your reward, the reward of the righteous, is nearness to God. It's really simple. Listen, 
when you meet the person that becomes the love of your life, you're just happy being together, right? You almost don't care what you do when you go on a date. You, you just want to be with one another. You just want to be in one another's presence and appreciate one another. And then you get older, you get married, and children come, responsibilities increase, and it's harder to spend time with one another, isn't it? And then you, you just, you're just you just hoping and, and, and searching for uh, simple ways of being together again, right? My wife and I like to joke that uh, for a period of our lives, when we were both going through uh, difficult medical challenges and trials, uh, th that sometimes the only opportunities for us to be together were on medical dates. I'd take her to the hospital for a checkup. She'd take me to the hospital for a, a pre-op appointment. Um, so we would just look forward to medical dates because we just wanted to be together and we didn't care what the circumstances were. Our reward as a couple was nearness to one another. And so the reward of the righteous, according to Psalm 1, is happiness in the presence of God, walking with him on the one way, the true way, and as Jesus called it, the narrow way. And speaking of Jesus, he called this concept of nearness to God, he called it abiding. Once again, in John chapter 15, and, and, and this is this is on the night before Jesus would be executed. This is just before he was about to be betrayed, and, and he's in this upper room celebrating the Passover with his apostles. And he says to them, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And so Jesus is saying the, the wheat and the chaff, the blessed life and the cursed life is dependent upon whether or not you abide in me whether or not you meditate on me, my words, my voice. How is it possible that you and I will not be blown away in the presence of God when he comes to judge the earth, when he comes to redeem humanity and remake reality as we know it? It'll be because you are planted in Christ, planted by the Father in his garden, abiding in the vine who is his son, Jesus Christ. And so really the, the message for us today from Psalm 1 is by faith to plant yourself in Jesus Christ so that his voice and his ways become the greatest influence in your life. Plant yourself by him. Park yourself by him. Allow your roots to go deep in the soil of his truth and his grace. 
Have you ever considered the incarnation in light of someone? Have you ever considered the fact that the incarnation and the crucifixion are God's proof that he was, um, was willing to uproot himself so that you and I could be planted by his side. Jesus Christ enjoyed perfect, eternal unity with his heavenly Father and with God the Spirit. And Jesus, in a sense, uprooted himself from that perfect union. He uprooted himself and became a human being and spent over 30 years with us here. And in the moment when he was crucified, when, when his heavenly father turned his back on, on Jesus, the son of God, because Jesus took your sin, took my sin upon himself on a Roman cross. In that moment, Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, uprooted himself from the presence of God so that you and I would never have to remain in the desert, so that you and I would never have to be uprooted permanently. The life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the death of Jesus and his resurrection show us that God uprooted himself so that you and I can draw near, so that you and I, by faith, can be planted by streams of living water, close to the voice of God, close to the influence of God. Meditate on God's Son. When you have nothing to think about, think about His voice. Listen to Him. Learn from Him. Find your identity in Him. Find your hope in Him. Our prayers, our true prayers, our true songs, Rise up to God from hearts that yearn for Jesus, for hearts that are hungry for his presence and hungry for his voice. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that Jesus Christ uprooted himself so that we can draw near to you. Thank you that by faith and through the gift of your grace, you plant us right beside you because of your son, because of what he accomplished for us. Father, we want to be on the path that leads to happiness. We want to be on the path that you say is blessed. And Father, we recognize that we are not on that road by our own means, but by the means of your son, who is our righteousness, who is our salvation. May we stay close to him, yearn for his presence, and listen to his voice and his name. Amen.